This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Chapter 5, we're just going to get started right here. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, my, my anchoring scripture is going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, looking at verse 31. And it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And Paul continues, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And so, taking up from that, we're going to um, title this this message again. This this is a um, um, a conclusion of, of a particular set of teachings, but this particular teaching, we're talking about a relationship in particular. We're talking ministry to the married, a relationship in particular. And you all will understand more about what I mean when I say in particular. And so we, we learned that marriage is a divine institution that's created by God, whereby two rational, free moral agents, a man and a woman, who are born again, choose to enter into a lifelong commitment with an imperfect person. And I love that definition because it's, it, it, it's so full of, of meaning, of, of, of intent. It, it discusses that, you know, the, the origin, that it's a divine institution. It's not something that, that man made up, that man created, that man decided would be convenient for him and for his purposes. That it's created by God. And it says that, you know, it presupposes that, that, that there are rational people involved in this, in this, uh, in this institution, in this commitment. That, that they entered into it without coercion. That they are born again, which in and of itself we'll, we'll get into as we get into the teaching. Um, and that is a choice to enter into a lifelong commitment. Uh, Minister Martin, as he, as he started this, he was talking about the qualities of a, of a godly marriage. One of the things he said is that, is that there's no such thing as a starter marriage. There's no such thing as a starter husband or a starter wife that, you, that you'll try this one out and see how you like it. And, it, and, it, and if you don't like it, then you, maybe you'll swap it in. You know, we, we, can't, we can't trade out. I mean, y'all know Brother Everhart and his, and his cars. You know, you can't just trade out your, your, your marriage like you do your car. Every couple of years, you, you find something else that catches your eye. And you say, well, I, I think I'll go in that direction. No, it's, it's, it's a lifelong commitment. And, and you make the commitment knowing that the other person is not the end-all and the be-all. That, 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 it's a, that, they, it's your committing to an imp, that you are an imperfect person committing to an imperfect person. 
So you can't say, oh, I saw this, I didn't know about this, or I, I saw that. They, they should have disclosed that ahead of time. Well, guess what? There are things, some things you should have disclosed as well. It's a lifelong commitment to an imperfect person. So in the focus of this teaching, we're going to be talking about marriage as an institution that points to the relationship between Christ and the church. That's why we say that this is a relationship in particular. Um, you know, there, there, are some, there are some situations that are set up in Scripture that point, that, that are natural things that point to something greater. And, and, and those, those situations are, are, are extremely vitally important as it pertains to Scripture, but as, as, it, as it pertains to God's purpose and what God is saying in the earth. And so just know that God is speaking through your marriage. He, God is speaking through your marriage. Do not make the Word of God a lie. Do not make the Word of God confusing or twisted. This is a relationship in particular. God is speaking to the earth through your marriage. And so we're going to talk about marriage as this institution that points to the relationship between Christ and the church. Let me just kind of peel that back a little bit and let you all understand what am I saying when I'm saying that there there's some, some particular situations and instances that point to something that's greater than, than that, that particular situation. In, 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 in Scripture it talks about how how the, uh, the, the nation of Israel, as they were leaving Egypt and they had to go through the wilderness, they began to, to grumble and to complain because they were thirsty. And they said, well, Moses, did you bring us out here so that we would die of thirst in the wilderness? And, 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 and Moses went to God and says, how am I supposed to, to, to provide water for these people? And God, God gave him instructions. He says, that rock over there, strike that rock. And Moses, he struck the rock. And when he struck the rock, waters came out of it. And as, as, as time progressed, you know, you would think that if God did something good for you before, that you would, that you would remember that in your heart. But, you know, just like God's goodnesses were, were, were prevent, prevent, presented to us last year, we sometimes forget and say, God, what have you done for me lately? And so the people, they began to complain again. It says, Moses, we're thirsty. Did you bring us out of Egypt just so that we could die in the wilderness? And, and, and Moses became, he allowed himself to become frustrated because God had delivered them mightily out of the hand of Egypt. He had delivered them over all the lands that they were going through where people were trying to harass and to uh, assault them. He had provided for them fresh bread every morning. And he allowed himself to become frustrated with the people because they continued to com complain, even though God had shown himself to be faithful. And Moses went and he, and he, and he struck the rock again. But God, in this case, God told him to, to speak to the rock. And waters would come forth. But Moses, in his frustration, he struck the rock again. And in doing that, yes, the people received water. Yes, the people were sustained. But Moses, what he did is he set up a bad 
example. He set up a, a bad image in the earth because that rock represented Jesus Christ. And Christ would only, be, would only be struck once. He would only be bruised. He would only be sacrificed once. And for Moses to strike that rock again was to say that Christ would be crucified again. And he would not. See, Moses thought that he was just trying to do what needed to be done to satisfy the need of that time. But he didn't realize that God was trying to do something in particular. He was trying to show the people. He was trying to leave a testimony to the people in particular that would go on through the ages and would testify of his faithfulness and of his goodness and of the coming Messiah. And so a lot of times in marriage we think that, well, you know, he looked good or she looked fine, and so we decided that we would go ahead and give this a try. And then you find that there are challenges and, and that there's, there's, um, there's trials in that. And you, and you start to think, well, you know, maybe I should just go ahead and switch it up, or maybe we should um, have a, a, a mental separation. But what you fail to realize is that in your marriage, God is doing something in particular. God is doing something in particular. And that in you making the decisions that you make, or maybe you don't decide to separate, maybe you, you just decide that, well, you know, we're in this union, but, but we're just in it for ourselves. Right? We're just in this union to be comfortable and to, and, and, and to please ourselves and not to serve the kingdom of God. But listen, in your marriage, God is trying to do something in particular. He is setting up an example for the world to see that speaks to the relationship between Christ and the church. And when you choose to, to tear aside your marriage vows, when you choose to profane your marriage vows by not being faithful in your marriage, when you choose to, to treat your marriage lightly, as, as not something that is important, as not something that is intentional, as not something that is designed to get God's work accomplished. You set up a bad witness, a bad testimony in the earth. You say that God has no reason, God has no purpose for the institution of the church. God has no desire, he has no designs for his people. You set up a, a foul testimony in the earth. In your marriage, God wants to do something in particular. So, we've learned before that, that as we do these teachings, we want you all to be grounded, to connect the knowledge. And so we want you to understand what are the principles that, that, are, that are at play in the teachings that go forth. And so we know that the principle that governs relationships in general... The principle that governs your relationship with people in general is the principle of unconditional love. So the principle that governs your relationship with people in general is the principle of unconditional love. What does that mean? It means that my love for you is not based on your actions. As Grandma Jessie used to say, I love you, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Under the principle of unconditional love, you see acts of kindness. The principle at work is evidenced by acts of kindness, such as forgiveness, 
Acts of kindness such as fellowship. Acts of kindness such as generosity that I'm willing to pour out and pour into others. That I'm not going to hold any debts to your charge. That I'm not going to separate myself from you. But as you have needs that I can supply, all that I have is yours. And I give it freely without any expectation of return. But we see that the marriage relationship, it is a relationship in particular. Now what does that mean? It means that the marriage relationship is governed by a different principle, not the principle of unconditional love, although unconditional love needs to be in your marriage. Listen, one principle does not supersede or, or do away with another. No, this is, this is a relationship in particular. So yes, you need to show forgiveness to your spouse. You need to be in fellowship with your spouse. You need to demonstrate generosity with your spouse. But listen, God is saying so much more in the marriage relationship because it's a relationship in particular. So this relationship is governed by the principle of sow and reap. The institution of marriage is governed by the principle of sow and reap. And when we say sow and reap, this is how we receive provision from God. Sow and reap is established so that we can receive that which God has made available for us to sustain us, to keep us. And under this principle, when this principle is in action, you find acts of obedience. So listen, in, in your relationships in general, in your relationships in general, those are governed by unconditional love. And you'll find acts of kindness. But in the marriage relationship, it's governed by sow and reap. And in your marriage relationship, you'll find acts of obedience. Now, what are we talking about in, in sow and reap in the marriage relationship? Just some, just some natural examples to kind of get you uh, a sense of, of the spiritual implications. You know, and sowing physically into your marriage. The man sows seed into the wife. And she brings into into his wife. The man sows seed into his wife. Let's make sure we get that correct. And she brings forth an increase. She brings forth children. We see that the man sows emotionally into the marriage. That he that the man can sow confidence into his wife. And she, and she brings back, pressed down, shaken together and running over, more confidence. She brings forth excellence in, in terms of how she performs, in terms of where she thinks she fits, her, her place and her position, and her role in the marriage. The man needs to sow confidence into his wife. You know, the man can also sow confusion into his wife. The man can also show, sow confusion 
into his wife. And that's because he's confused. Get that. When the man shows confidence, that's because he is confident. He is with God and God is with him. And that's, so now he's able, he has seed and he sows that into the marriage. But you know, the man can also sow confusion because he is confused. Because he has not been faithful in his relationship to God. And so now there's some hesitancy, there's some duplicity. There's hypocrisy in what he sows into his marriage. And the confused woman, you know what she does? She does nothing. She doesn't know what to do. Because when she did it this way before, you were pleased with it. But when she did the exact same thing the next week, you became angry with her. She doesn't know what her position is, what her role is. You know, she, she stepped up and she, and she fulfilled these obligations in this area. And it seemed like the right thing to do. But you know what? Then, then you came and you said, well, well, no, you, you, are you wearing the pants in this family? I'm the man of this house. How are you going to disrespect me like that? He's so in confusion. And so the, the wife that is confused, you know what she does? She does nothing. She tries to find a way to make herself smaller in the marriage. She tries to make herself invisible in the marriage. Because you're sowing confusion into the marriage. She has no, she has no, 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 no firm foundation, no place in the marriage. And so these are just examples of the principle of sow and reap. Now when you look at the, at the pattern of this principle... Look at, look at the pattern of the principle. The pattern of the principle of sow and reap it. What it does is it, it has a, a pre-existing authority. When you look at the pattern of the principle of sow and reap, there's pre-existing authority. What does that mean? It means that you don't make it up. You come into it, and it's, but it's already been established. It's not your idea. Just using a natural example of, of sowing and reaping in an agricultural sense. The ground is already there. You didn't have to create the dirt. The ground is already there. There's pre-existing authority that's established. In the principle of sowing and reap, when you look at the pattern of the principle... You see that that effort needs to be expended in faith. Now, what does that mean? That means that you need to put some work in. When you look at the pattern of the principle of sow and reap, it means that you need to put work in. And when you put the work in, you're not going to see an immediate return on your efforts. Back to agriculture. You put the seed in the ground. That seed doesn't spring up overnight. You're going to have to put the work in. In faith. Knowing that what has been planted 
will bring forth fruit. In your marriage, you're going to have to put the work in. You're going to have to be kind and be generous and be obedient and self-sacrificing. And you might not get a thank you for it. You're going to have to establish a standard and be consistent in that standard. And you might have to say again and again and again what the standard is. And then the fourth time, you'll see that the, that the house is not moving within that standard. You'll have to repeat that standard again. You're going to have to put in some work. And you're going to be working in faith. Meaning that you're not going to see immediate results for the work that you put in. When I think about just in my own personal life, about the, the people that, 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 that came before in their marriages and, and, and what, they, what they put forth in order to bring forth a godly seed in, in myself and in my siblings, many of them, they transitioned. They transitioned long before it was evidence that the work would bring forth fruit. Many of you in your marriages, you're going to put in the work, put in the work, put in the work. And your children, your grandchildren may still be young ones when you make your transition. But you're going to have to have faith that the seed that you planted will produce the fruit that it's intended to produce. You may say, well, my, my son is still not being kind to his wife. My son is still not, not, not following the ways of God. And, and his children, I, I see that they're getting kind of hard-headed and rebellious even now, but, but I'm going to continue to put in the work. Put in the work. Put in the work. Because I'm working in faith. I trust in the one in whom I believe. And that governs my actions. And that comes to the last one, the last point of the pattern. The pattern of, of, of the principle of, of sow and reap is that there's pre-existing authority. You didn't make it up yourself. You're going to have to put in work. You're going to expend effort in faith. Put in the work, not seeing immediate results. But you're going to have to have an expectation. An expectation of a result. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, if you're training and you don't have an expectation of a result, then it impacts how you train. If you're training and you say, well, you know, maybe I might be able to get just a little bit better, then you'll just train just a little bit. But if you're training you're saying, I'm going to need to compete at the highest level, then that informs how you train. That informs how you put the work in. And so this marriage relationship, this relationship in particular, if you're saying, well, you know, we's married now. And maybe God will get some benefit from this marriage or, you know, whatever. We're just going to try and be as happy as we can be. If you have a small expectation, you're going to put in a small amount of work. If you come in and say, oh, well, let's just see what happens. 
You're going to put in, let's just see what happens, level of work into your marriage. But if you have an expectation of excellence, if you have an expectation of the kingdom of God, if you have an expectation of producing a godly seed that will change this world, it's going to inform the level of effort that you put into your marriage. It's going to inform the level of work that you put in. Too often, we allow ourselves to become frustrated, to become depressed, to become despondent, to become lazy. And that's because we don't have an expectation. We don't have hope that the Lord will show himself to be faithful. We don't have hope that we will see the goodness of the Lord while we are yet in the land of the living. And so that's why we allow those, those, those negatives to, to weigh on us and that sin to easily beset. You need to have an expectation of a result. In Ephesians 5 and 31 it says, in 5 and 32, it says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says it's a great mystery. And one of the things that I've said before is that a mystery is something that is hidden until it's revealed. But when it's revealed, it becomes obvious. You begin to see that pattern in so many other places, in so many other things. You're like, how could I not know this to be true? Because the mystery has been revealed to you. He says he's speaking concerning Christ and the church. When you understand the mystery, you're saying, how could I not understand that as Christ loved the church, that I need to love my own life? How could I not understand that as, as Christ prepared and made provision for the church and disciplines the church, that I need to discipline my marriage, that I need to make provision for my marriage, that I need to make preparation for my marriage. So let's, when we look at the design of marriage, it's designed to reflect the love that Christ has for the church. Going back to the beginning in Genesis. And this is about as far as we'll be able to get today. But we're just setting the stage. In Genesis chapter 2. I want you all to understand this. Just look at this mystery. Look at the mystery. You see it in all of creation. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he made, which he had made. What I love about this is that God, he established all of creation. He established all of the planets 
all of the, the, the stars, all the way down to the, the fish and the wildlife and, the, and the, the herbs that were on the earth. And he was busy at work. Establishing, establishing, establishing. But when he made man, when God made man, it's like he threw up his hands. He says, you know what? That's it. That's it. That's, that's what I was looking for. He rested. He rested. He rested. Jump down to Genesis 2, verse 18. We see that, that Adam is here. He's naming all the animals. Verse 18 says, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. I'm going to make him help that is suitable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found any help, meat for him. So God says, it's not good that man is alone. And man is in the green, says, you know what? God, just bring it all to me. Let me see every, everything that's there. All the fowl, every beast, bring it all to me. Let, me. let me see everything that there is. But in nothing that God brought to him, could he, could he find satisfaction? It's like, that's not it. No, that's, you know what? That goes with that, but that's not for me. That goes with that, but that's not for me. That's, that, that's not suitable for me. And it says, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto him. And Adam starts rapping. He says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Can you see the pattern? Adam had considered all the things that were in God's creation. And none of those things were right. None of those things were suitable. But when God brought that woman to him. When God brought that woman to him. He says, you know what? That's the one. That's the one. This is bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. It's like, I ain't got to be worried about it no more. This is, this is the work. This is the work. This is, this is suitable. This is suitable for me. He didn't have to go fretting about it anymore. Look at the parallels in, in God and creation. And then God brings the woman to the man. That there's all this activity that happens beforehand. There's all this preparation that happens beforehand. But when that which is suitable is present, there's a peace. There's a rest. 
You know, I know a lot of young men that they, they, they find themselves becoming restless and, and, and active. And you see them going from place to place, trying to make it happen, trying to make it happen. But then you see that young man when he meets that young woman. All of a sudden, it's like, wait a second. We say the brother's nose is wide open. You could put Coke bottles up there. But what it is is that, is that he's like, hey, this, this is what I was, this is it. This is what I was looking for. This is what I was searching after. This is what God intended. The scripture talks about, a, about the kingdom of heaven. Listen, when you look at these patterns, when you look at this relationship in particular, I'm telling you, it speaks, the relationship between a man and a wife, it speaks to, to Christ in the church. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he says, I want you guys to, to look at it as though uh, a, a, a man that, that finds a, 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 a pearl of great value. And although he may have acquired many jewels before, although he may have seen and traded for and swapped out, when he sees this, this pearl of great value, what he does is he sells everything. He's completely sold out so that he can acquire it. This is the kingdom of heaven, but it sounds like it's a man and his wife. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a man that, that he goes to a field and he finds treasure in that field. And when he sees that there's treasure in the field, oh, shucky now, wait a second. What he does, he says, you know what? I'm going to get rid of all my distractions, all my competing interests, and I'm buying that field. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. This is, I got to have this. Because this is what is suitable for me. This marriage, it's a, it's a relationship in particular. God is, is showing you and your, the relationship between the, the man and his wife. The relationship between Christ and the church. That same intent, it's, it's, it's been wired into us. It's almost like God says when he created man, I want you to know how to get back to me. So I'm going to leave this mystery inside of you so that when you consider the help that is suitable to you, it's going to point you back to a greater reality. When you consider what you would do, it says you would do the things that you would not do. When you consider what you would do, just know what Christ has done to redeem his church. The lengths that he was willing to take. The sacrifice that he was willing to make. And ultimately, it was all about his obedience to the will of the Father. That it wasn't about the condition, the present condition of the church, because there was work that needed to be done. There's work that needs to be done. But it's about his obedience to the Father. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God commands the man. 
He says, be fruitful and multiply. He tells them to, uh, to replenish the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion. And we see here that, that the commandment given to Adam to be fruitful and multiply is more than just the quantity of the seed. When God tells Adam to be fruitful or man to be fruitful and multiply, it's not just the quantity of the seed. It's, it's the quality of it. In order to be fruitful, the, the seed or the fruit must have substance and be able to reproduce after its kind. An illustration that I've used before is that there's a difference between an ox and a mule. Both of these animals, they, they have great capacity. They have great strength to get work done. But the mule is not able to reproduce after its kind. It's sterile. It's sterile. So God is looking for, his desire is for parents to concentrate on building character and godly spirit in their children. He wants his people to leave a godly seed in the present world so that there is a godly deposit for generations to come. God has an expectation for your marriage. He has a design and a purpose for your marriage. He's not just looking for you to look into each other's eyes and grow old eating bonbons. God has a desire for your marriage. Go to Malachi, a place that, that we all should know how to get to by now. But we're going to go to chapter 2 in Malachi. But it's, 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 it's so interesting that, that this book of Malachi that talks about tithing, and we know that tithing is under the principle of sow and reap, that is based on obedience. That in the same book, he also he's talking about marriage. That it's about your obedience. Malachi chapter two, verse fifteen, it says, And did he not and did not he make one? It says, Did not God make the two into one flesh? Yet had he the residue of the spirit and whereof one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. It says, did, did not God make this union? And to what purpose is his grace on this union? Why is this a union in particular? Why is this a relationship in particular? Because God desires something from your marriage. He desires a godly seed. A deposit for generations to come. God desires an enduring expectation of the Christ, of the coming of the anointed one. God desires from your marriage an enduring expectation of the Christ. In Genesis 3, it talks about how the seed of the woman was going to bruise the head of the serpent. 
And that's an illustration of Christ and his dominion over sin. In Genesis 18, it talks about how Abraham, God says that, that he would, would not hide his judgment from Abraham because he knew that Abraham was one that would direct his, his children to follow the way of the Lord. He said Abraham is bringing forth, Abraham is following the intention of his marriage. He's bringing forth a godly seed. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about fathers not provoking your children to wrath. Let's just go there in these closing minutes. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He's saying, fathers, you have a responsibility. You have work to put in. You have work to put in. It is not just a question of, of, of your love. It's not just a question of your kindness. But this is your act of obedience. This is your act of obedience, fathers, to bring up your children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God has an expectation of your marriage. You're to have an enduring testimony of Christ. The ultimate purpose of God's family is to bless all of the other families in the earth. Many of you know when you were growing up, there were some, there were some houses that you wanted to go and visit. And there's, there's some houses that you were like, ah, you know, we'll see them at school. There, there, there are some marriages, some relationships that when you get around them, they, they, they feed you. They nourish you. And it's not, it's, 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 it's not, the affection that they show towards each other, or it's it's is that they it, it seems as though with them there's the that that there's this this residue. The spirit is there, the Holy Spirit is at work in their marriage, and it, it speaks to you, and it speaks to all around them. Even the heathen says, you know what? That's the kind of couple. That's, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. 30 years together, that's the way. 40 years together, that 50 years together, that's the way to do it. Look at how that house is ordered. Look at, look at the order in that house. His purpose in your marriage is to bring life to others. And to bring glory to Him. Your marriage is to bring life to others and glory to Him. Listen, you need to have a greater expectation of your marriage. If you had a greater expectation of your marriage, some of the foolish arguments that, that husbands and wives get into, you would avoid those arguments. Some of the foolish controversies. These little small things. Look, you need to have a greater expectation he said, wait a second, we are trying to model Christ in the church. 
when people see our interactions, do they see Christ in the church? Based on how I'm speaking to you, based on how I react to what you said to me? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. You knew when you chose that person, that imperfect person, you said, whoa, wait a second. You cut off all your other relationships. You cut off all your, your, your side friends and your other avenues. You were like, you know what? I'm sold out. I'm all in. This is the one. This is the one. Remember back in those days. Remember back to those days. Because now you're getting closer to what God is trying to communicate to you about how he feels about the church. That he sold out to it. He's not looking, he's not looking for another church. He's not looking in other areas. But he's, he's, he's dedicated himself. He's committed himself to you. And why is that? Is it because you, you were all that? No. It's because of his obedience to the Father. So listen, we're going to get more into this. About this relationship in particular. <clears throat> Next week, we're going to talk about the testimony, your testimony, of Christ in the church. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.